Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. Uh, on Thursday is always our underdog fantasy show i'll either be joined by josh norris who is with me today or hayden winks depending on uh, what their schedules allow of course obviously a reminder this show is sponsored by underdog fantasy you guys should download that app with a quickness if you have not done so promo code grid will get you a free wager inside of the pick'em game uh, of which has been very enjoyable for me we've uh, we've had some good picks been having some good luck. Uh, and it's just great to just pile in on the overs. I mean, nothing's better than watching an Island game. Here's piled in on the overs rooting for points on every single play. It's the best, Josh. A lot of overs last weekend, a lot, of, lot overs of overs last weekend. And it's not just like over, you know, 47 receiving yards or over one and a half touchdowns thrown. We've got some really cool things going on in terms of like longest reception. We've got fancy points in there. So everyone out there it's, it's, a really cool avenue to like get your player props in, but also like your fantasy brains work perfectly for you to get like 20 extra money, 10 extra money if you get four correctly as well. Uh, what Hayden and I have been talking about, and Davis, I'd love to get your opinion on this. You know, they have like longest completion for the quarterback and then longest yeah. reception for both the wide receivers. Like, look, look if in. you did that for the Bears last week, when Andy Dalton like didn't attempt to pass over 15 yards and just hammered that three, if if they had it open for Dalton, Allen Robinson, and Darnell Mooney, like correlating that and combining that might be a, a fun way of looking at it for the rest of the season with us. No, I mean that is the right way I think to approach this game that's being offered on Underdog right now is find the ones that correlate together because you're getting a multiplier the way that the game is built, and you are not being punished for correlating the plays, right? So you could take. Ezekiel Elliott over rushing plus receiving yards and then the under on Tony Pollard rush plus receiving yards and like that's a natural way to do it Uh, and then obviously you know Lamar Jackson over on his passing yards over on Marquise Brown's passing yards or receiving yards like that's a that's a great way to play the game Uh, so we we actually real quick here we're going to start with the winning team from last week in Battle Royale before we get into just some general you know football takes and It was fascinating. I mean, not fascinating, but generally speaking, I think most people don't want to start with the quarterback, but the winning team from last week was Mahomes in the first round, Tyreek in the second, Joe Mixon in the third, Nick Chubb as that correlation pick in the fourth, TJ Hawkinson as the tight end in the fifth round of the battle Royale. And then of course, Moonball Tyler Lockett there with the sixth round selection. So I I guess the, the strategy reveal here is that 
you are going to need the highest scoring quarterback of the week. Right. That, that was one of the things I really took away is like, you just are going to have to have the quarterback who well, has I, the most points. I, I think maybe a better way of phrasing it or another way of phrasing it is the highest combo quarterback wide receiver. Wide tandem. receiver. Because yeah. like Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't have hit like Patrick Mahomes and Tyree killed it. Right. So, yes. and, and then the other avenue to that, as you always talk about, and as one of your, um, audience members in Swellcast mentioned, Hey, maybe you want to bring it back at times and bringing it back with, with Nick Chubb was the right way of doing that. Um, so yeah, having that construction with inside the top four makes a lot of sense. And yeah, your, your point on how we have to remove our brains from waiting on quarterbacks and other leagues, not in this one. And I will say last week was $5 entry this week. It's a $20 entry, but first place does get 20 K 10 K 5k after that and look you're just drafting six players six people leagues and uh so there's gonna be 36 selections love to see it um so let's uh let's start here look we've are we've done a million takes on this what's the 49ers backfield gonna be like this week against the eagles let's just get it let's we because we we are we've done the waiver wire discussion right yep so now we actually have to be like well what are we doing with these guys in fantasy how do you see the hasty Mitchell, Sermon, maybe Trenton Cannon, right? Added him. Maybe Trenton Cannon will be active on Sunday. How do we see these uh, these guys playing out? I think the only definite we have now is that Eli Mitchell is locked in for like 50% workload because I, yeah, they've already shown their hand in that they trust him, right? And it's either he could get more than that, he could get 70%, or I think at worst, he's now a split back with, with Trey Sermon. So if we have any truths, any facts, it's that Eli Mitchell's going to have a place in this backfield. Now, from there, who knows? To me, it's still absolutely insane that we were lied to all of preseason. And Trey Sermon did not put a wrong foot forward in the things that we watched and in training camp reports either. Even the beat writers are like, in their own feelings and tweeting through it saying that he was, you know, the paired as a lead back through, through August as well. And something happened in those maybe 10 days behind closed doors, but who knows now, Davis, would it be shocking to you on either side of Trey Sermon coming out here and like, you know, if they have an extended drive, he goes in for like the sixth snap and gets a seventh then gets the eighth. I will say the talent profile of Eli Mitchell fits so well to what they were planning to do with Raheem Mostert, Mostert in terms of those outside zone runs. We've also seen Kyle Shanahan in his recent history want to run more of like between the tackles, depending on who they're drafting, some man-to-man blocking, so on and so forth. And Trey Sermon fits that the best on that team. Obviously, no one out there can start Trey Sermon until we get like some gauge of what his workload is is going to be. But if you either picked up Eli Mitchell before last week because of that final hour or on your waivers this week. I, I still feel pretty good starting him as a flex option this week. Yeah. Uh, well, here, I will, I'll put the screws to you early. Saquon Barkley or Elijah Mitchell. Say you say you have Saquon. We think he's probably going to – I have a team where we did this. We went all in on Elijah Mitchell because we, we started our draft with Saquon Barkley as our top running back, right? Yeah. Not feeling particularly good about that, uh, given the, given uh, how his knee looked last week. 
I, I think it's Mitchell. I think I would rather start Mitchell. Yeah. Me too, dude. Me too. And I don't know how many hours this comes out before that Thursday night football game, but Saquon was uh Saquon wasn't visible last week, to be perfectly honest with you. And Davis, it might go back to what we saw of like early career Saquon when he was stuffed for one, two, three yard gains and then was forced to like reel off that 40 yarder, 50 yarder. But does he still have that juice right now coming back from that knee injury? Who knows? And it's also to the point that I don't know if we're ever going to get a gauge on Saquon Barkley's workload until we finally see him get 70, 80% of the backfield share in a single game. And right now we just have to proceed like he's not going to get that. So I'm with you. I'd start Eli Mitchell as crazy as a week two over Saquon Barkley. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, I think that you got to do it. So let's just I, I kind of just want to go through some of the more interesting games here. The The most interesting game is, of course, this Chargers Cowboys game. Mm-hmm. And there are uh, a couple questions on the Chargers side of the ball. The first one being, you know, why was Austin Eckler not targeted in the passing game last week? Was that like a hamstring uh, limitation thing? does Mike Williams actually have a real role inside of this offense for the first time in his career after basically just being a nine route guy is Donald Parham going to play 40 snaps a game and not be targeted. That was pretty weird. Like what, what are your thinking? What, what are your thoughts on the Chargers' offense after one week? I'll start with Austin Eckler first. I wonder if moving forward, we have to substitute away despite it being his game for forever. Austin Eckler's pass catching role And instead, now we get this role of an inside the 20 playmaker, which is something that we haven't seen from Austin Eckler consistently. I mean, Austin Eckler had seven runs inside the red zone in week one, which was most in the NFL. And so often this type of back is typecast as just like an in-space player and someone who was really good at that. But if we get that role, that's amazing. But we might not be able to get everything. And I actually think maybe I can run this by you before I go on to Mike Williams. What if... Justin Herbert just doesn't have to check down, you know, Yeah. because his arm is just unreal. He's making these like opposite hash throws to the sideline that almost no other quarterback in the NFL can make defenses can't cover every single blade of grass. So those are open. And when you watch that versus, I don't know, like no offense, Baker Mayfield's on the field. Like it's just two different arms out there. And so if he's able to do that to Mike Williams, to Keen Allen over the middle of the field, to Josh Palmer, whoever else they have on the outside, Jared Cook, then is like an Austin Eckler checkdown even necessary? You know what I'm saying? No, I and that's a more efficient offense. Like it's better to be hitting these dime throws like that are impossible, like that Baker Mayfield could never make, right? right? There was that, there was the one throw that Herbert made to Keenan Allen for like 13 yards last week where he was like, he like sliced it in between two defenders across the field you know, on the, on the, not the hash, but the, the boundary. And it was just like, I mean, Baker Mayfield's body would like tear in half if he tried to make that throw, they get the first down. Um, So I, I mean, I thought, I thought Herbert looked even better than he did last season, which is, is pretty encouraging. And of course the Cowboys defense dealing with a bunch of injuries now. And because last year, and again, I'm going back to our, you know, preseason conversations here, but no quarterback was pressured more than Justin Herbert during his rookie season, and no one fared better against pressure than Justin Herbert. And then now we get Rashawn Slater being an absolute animal at left tackle. We have really good blocking across the rest of the offensive line. And so you get more inside of structure throws as well. To your point about Mike Williams, I to me, he's at worst a wide receiver fours moving forward. 
even a yeah. wide receiver three as we go on. And Hayden called this out when he was going as like wide receiver 48 back in, in June or July. And Mike Williams, he's never going to be a separator, right? But he had, he sealed the game with his third down catch later on two minutes left in the fourth quarter. There were other things that he left on the field though. Like he dropped an elevated touchdown where he extended his body. And like, that's typically Mike Williams bread and butter. And while I think like there's going to be some pieces around that duo at wide receiver, Keenan Allen's so damn good. Mike Williams contract year playing at a high level. If he keeps this yep. up, he's going to get paid a lot of money this off season. So yeah, I would view as we continue to see Justin Herbert have complete control of this offense. Mike Williams is a wide receiver three moving forward. No, I, I, I think that you are right, which is uh, insane because we literally been waiting for Mike Williams to do this forever. Like he had the big touchdown year. Then he had the 20 yard per reception year. He's been hurt a bunch and it feels crazy, but I, I actually think it's going to happen for him. Uh, and I mean, the other thing that I'm hoping happens is that Jared Cook as a 34 year old slows down a little bit and we get to have XFL MVP Donald Parham do his thing. Uh, on the other side, I don't find there's not really anything to talk about with the Cowboys because Dak's going to do his thing. Amari's going to be amazing. CD's going to be amazing. I guess the only question here is Cedric Wilson, though. That's Davis. what I, that's where I was going. With because Cedric like if, if you play in a league with a pretty strong starting lineup and maybe you have like two extra flexes to go along with three wide receivers and and two running backs, you're probably already in a position with so many running back and wide receiver injuries in week one that maybe you're considering Cedric Wilson as as their team's wide receiver three. And I'd be confident in starting. I mean, what Kellen Moore comes out, because I think so often, like what we're having trouble with the Broncos, for example, I love KJ Hamler. Tim Patrick has been productive in his past, but it's not like, you know, their OC came out and said, oh, blank is the guy, right? And Kellen right. Moore, as soon as Michael Gallup went down, he's like, Cedric Wilson's our guy. He's going to be in there all the time. He's going to play that role. And in this type of an offense, that's bankable. You know, that's bankable. So I'm confident running with him in the flex spot if you have a deeper league. I'm, I'm actually very confident in him because they've kind of liked him for a while. Like they've always viewed him as ahead of Noah Brown. They didn't play Simi Fahoko at all in that Thursday night game, even though he was active as like the emergency fifth wide receiver or whatever. And we can't overlook this. Cedric Wilson wears number one. I mean, that is just an alpha move, dude. Like get like you, you have number one over, over all the other guys. Like, I don't know. So it's a pretty I, big deal. I, I just, I need a big Cedric Wilson game so I can uh, go back and bump my, post from his senior bowl from coming out of Boise state where I was just taking these like end zone videos of him. I mean, he's had a long career in terms of like a, one that he hasn't stuck on yeah. in, in a starting lineup or even like been, you know, in, in the rotation it's because this team is so good. What this also might be doing Davis is giving us a preview for next year as well. Michael Gallup in a contract year. It's Cedric Wilson, the guy that they're looking for in 2022. Maybe we're getting a preview of that. Just a thought. Or, or do they act like, are they going to throw a bunch of like screens to Dalton Schultz? I mean, they threw, they threw Possible. two, they threw two tight end screens to Dalton Schultz in that game against the Buccaneers. Now I don't know. Uh, I literally do not know anything about Dalton Schultz is like, Oh, he does this really well. Or he does that really well. I just know that he saw six targets and played 54% of the snaps in that game. And he is a guy who would be very cheap to uh, acquire. Are you a, are you a Dalton Schultz believer? Well, I think the reason why you you can't pinpoint 
potential strong suits in his game is because he might be like the most middling talent ever yeah, at like the tight end so position. Average, he's so right? average and everything. I've also seen a lot of, it feels like you and I have a conversation about Zeke Elliott every week. I feel like you're a Zeke fan, correct? I was like a Zeke fan on underdog because of the potential returns. Or well, just in general, just in general, like as a player. Cause I know in, you... in general, no, no, oh, I'm you're a, not. I'm a, I'm a Pollard guy. I'm a oh. Pollard guy. I'm one of those guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, but I, I, I was kind of in spite of myself, just hoovering up Zeke on underdog, which after hmm. watching Tyreek in week one uh, does not <laughs> feel very good. Uh, I think without Ezekiel Elliott on the field as much as he was last week, the game wouldn't have been as close. I know that that's countered because a lot of people wanted Tony Pollard to go play and run a bunch of routes, but a lot of those downfield passes to Amari Cooper and Zeeliam, and that feels like three weeks ago now, um, were able to be created because Zeke was picking up in pass protection, you know? So I, I'm not in this camp of giving up on him already or like wanting a 50-50 split with, with Tony Pollard. Um, but is it going to be as, you know, peak Zeke as we have seen when they have neutral or positive game script? No, I mean, this is another game where they're probably going to be working from behind, which is totally fine with uh, for us for entertainment factor. But uh, what we need to see is Zeke going back to like his 71 target days. Uh, from a couple years ago. I mean, that's how he's going to get there. He's got it. They got to start targeting him when they're trailing like this, or uh, he's just got to score touchdowns. Like it's yeah. just, he just has got to score. And he almost, he did almost score one in week one. Uh, Jarwin, horrendous miss block. I mean, one of the, one of the, like just such a bad miss block that it's even clear to me, someone who does not really understand the intricacies of how blocking at the NFL level works, understood that it was clearly a, a bad miss block. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not uh, not particularly great. All right, I mean, while I have you, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, what what's what's the deal? I, is Clyde Edwards Hilaire even good? Is is Clyde Edwards Hilaire even better than Daryl Williams? Well, yes, I think he's better than Daryl Williams. Um, God, I I don't know if we know about Ceh in this offense yet. Like last year, there were so many things that that team dealt with. We, we saw the offensive line as it went to the Super Bowl. We saw CEH deal with ankle issues. I don't know if we have a grasp of this offense quite yet in their current style, other than Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey over and over and over again. I mean, not to push this back into you and, and show a mirror on the fantasy community, People are freaking out about CEH. What about all your Michael Hardman shares at like wide receiver 39 or whatever? Dude, I'm being panicking. Drafted in, you know? I'm, I'm, so, so this is the, this, I, I can view, I can view this on two sides of the coin. The, the one side of the coin is, oh my God, we've all been, we've all been rug pulled by Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Demarcus Robinson and Michael Hardman and Byron Pringle. And none of these guys are going to be any good. The other side of the coin would be, it's just simply not sustainable to give 70% of your passing plays to two guys. Like it's just, it, it just, maybe it'll work against the Cleveland Browns, but like that's not flying in the playoffs against really good teams, especially when those really good teams have a year's worth of film and seeing like, okay, this is what they're doing with Kelsey. This is what they're doing with Tyreek. Like they, the whole reason why McCole Hardman, despite doing nothing in the NFL for two years was going wide receiver 37 on underdog was basically like, Andy Reid is just going to have to figure something out to get right. other guys the ball. And I think that um, 
Tyreek and Kelsey are kind of like their foxhole guys. And they have their, obviously, I mean, Kelsey was on the Manning broadcast talking about this. Like Pat just like knows what I'm going to do. It's like, we have like a mind meld, right? There, like, there is no, like Peyton's question of, if you were forced to like draw up your routes on certain plays, it's impossible to do because you basically just have the right to get open and find space. And that's amazing. And I feel like Darren Waller was kind of like that during that Monday night football broadcast as well. Yeah. And clearly McCole Hardman does not have that license and Hardman and Mahomes don't have that rapport at all. In fact, we've seen it. Uh, I mean, remember there was the play Mahomes escapes the pressure and he does the hand motion and Hardman went the wrong way. Yeah. Hardman, Hardman went back in the end zone and Mahomes wanted him to come closer. And it's just like, like, what are we, what are we doing? Like it, right. it's, it's painful to watch. I do think Hardman still has a chance to pay off. Pro- probably he's going to be a roster clogger and manage leagues, but I feel like in, in, in underdog where it just, it, you're just going to get his seven touchdowns or whatever. Right. I think he, it does probably end up being okay simply because they're going to be, you know, games against the Dolphins or whatever, where they win 45 to 10. Right. It's, I think it's to the point now that we hope Miko Hardman learns how to play the wide receiver position as the season goes along, like in the season, which that's super tough. And it was kind of, you know, put in paper, lots of reports that he was having a great camp. And then now he's probably still more Tyree kill insurance than anything. Cause those have always been his best games to your question about CEH. I, I don't know all that we can ask for, for a running back in the most bankable offense in the NFL is 17 touches in week one, you know, but yeah. on those 17 touches, it was three catches for 29 yards and it was 14 carries for 43 yards. I mean, um, Henderson, Henderson basically had the same game. He just scored. Right. And I feel right. great about Henderson. I feel right. super bullish about Daryl Henderson after that game. Right. And the discount was about two or three or four rounds, depending on, and sometimes depending 10 on, rounds. Yeah. yeah some, depending, depending on, when, on when you drafted, but like um, the, the thesis behind those guys is the same, that they're the lead back for a really good offense and they're going to get some easy touchdowns as a result. Right. And it's not like it gets that easy with the Chiefs. I mean, this is a buzzsaw of the schedule that they have early on in the season. Like we mentioned the Browns, the Browns pass, I mean, Jadavion Clowney, Miles Garrett, they both had incredible uh, individual plays at points in this game. Now you have the Ravens, the Chargers, the Eagles. Yeah, well, the Bills, maybe the Ravens aren't that tough. The Washington maybe the, Raven, maybe the Ravens aren't that tough. Am I allowed to curse on this show? Oh, yeah. No? Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. The Ravens, the Ravens are fucked. Yeah. They are they so are. fucked. They're, they're um, real bad. Because when you go back and think of Lamar Jackson in 2019, that team ran so hot. And it's weird to say that they ran hot when their pass catchers were like, Willie Sneed and Miles Boykin kind of worked like, for them though. Right. And, but they ran hot because of offensive line consistency. Yeah. And you had like Orlando Brown and Ronnie Stanley and Marshall Yonda and Bradley Bozeman all play over like a thousand or 1200 snaps. They're already down Ronnie Stanley. It sounds like this weekend they're down Tyree Phillips. They were forced to trade Orlando Brown because he didn't want to play right tackle, you know? And I think what that forces you to do is when you run hot along the offensive line, you can stay kind of in phase and in rhythm of the play. And we know Lamar can have magic in those moments. And then when he's forced to carry this team, he can do it. And we saw that on Monday Night Football. But there's also leaving open those opportunities of those two fumbles that like lose the game for them, you know? And just putting everything on his shoulders. I don't know if this is going to change until 
Rashad Bateman gets back. And even then, I'm not sure if that's going to matter. You know, I just think that they're screwed. It it helps. Bateman, it helps. Bateman helps. Yes. Boyle will help too, by the way. Boyle, very good blocking tight end. That And ran help. a lot. They, they led the league in 13 personnel back when they had him and Hayden Insane. Hurst but and, yeah. and Mark Andrews. Yep, I'm with you. And you, you never want to be the guy saying the running backs matter thing, but they don't have any pass blockers. Like Tyson like cost them the game basically with how bad his pass blocking was. And then if you do the trade off to like, okay, we need a guy who can, who can keep Lamar safe back there. That means you're giving snaps to Latavius Murray and Devonta Freeman and Le'Veon Bell. Like that's not a good trade off. That's right. not really the trade off you want to make. So I, I agree. Like the Ravens are in a tough spot and I was pretty bullish on them heading into the year. And that seems wrong. Me, me too. Um, and with the chiefs this week, like what we saw last week was basically the Browns almost playing perfect football for three quarters you know and then it gets to a point because like, like look if the browns play i don't know 30 other teams 25 other teams that's enough to win that game but and yeah. i like i like baker mayfield but like there's this question now of well where does he stand among you know quarterbacks well i mean pretty low he, well <laughs> it's not it's not his fault it's not his fault but he's like the 22nd best quarterback in football the only point I was going to make is he just can't match Patrick Mahone's throw for throw when you get to that point. And how many quarterbacks can? Few. No one. No, if, if, Mahomes, if Mahomes plays an A game, right. the Chiefs cannot be beaten, right? right? Like that's just is what it is. So to me, that's probably the most frustrating part of playing the Chiefs right now that either you go up or excuse me, the, the Chiefs are leading. And the Chiefs have like built their defense in a way where they just have like individual playmakers of Chris Jones who can get a sack fumble or Tyron Matthew who can get an interception or force a fumble. Juan Thornhill to make plays downhill. It's like how those Colts teams were built, where exactly. they never they never had a good defense, but they had they had those defensive ends that just were perfect to run downhill all exactly. game. It's the same way. So like series to series, they not, might not be great, but when you're down by six points with three minutes left and the defense knows you're throwing the ball, guess what? They're going to pin their ears back and, and be super aggressive uh, trying to get the football back or, or stop you on fourth down or the chiefs are down by two with a minute left. And then you're forced to contain Patrick Mahomes with now a better offensive line. And that's impossible too. the offensive line, by the way, played really well. Um, I mean, I don't know about the run blocking stuff. Like that's a whole different game. But they were they kept Mahomes pretty pretty right. clean in the pocket, which was a huge relief considering what you know when we just last watched them play. And Mahomes was dying. And look, I'm not going to say that the Chiefs are going to go 17 and 0, but there's going to be very few scenarios where they find themselves in like an insurmountable hill when it no, reaches they're the gonna, fourth quarter. You know what I I'm saying? I actually think they're going to lose like a couple really stupid games because yeah. you can you can kind of tell that they are kind of like uh, the, the, those Warriors teams where they were like, they needed to kind of like cut themselves to feel the pain a little bit. Mm. Like it felt like that first quarter when they kicked the field goal on fourth and three, instead of going for it, I was like, what, what, why are we kicking it? Like, what are they doing? Kicking a field goal here? Like, that's not what this team does. Like that's really, it bizarre. also wouldn't be shocking for them to lose. I don't know, two of their first five. Cause it's a bus off. I mean, after the Ravens against the chargers, Eagles and bills, and all three of those teams are, are, super super talented and, and played pretty well for the most part in week one as well yeah um all right what else what else interesting do we have i like three for, underdogs for this, week? this week let's go hit me 
I love Cincinnati at plus two and a half against the Chicago Bears. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, the Bears should be punished every second of every day that they don't start Justin Fields. Like, give me, give me the Bengals here. And I think the combination of how good Joe Mixon looked, both in the rushing and receiving game, how crisp and efficient Joe Burrow was, despite them, you know, and this is a stat that's been thrown around across Twitter all week, but just in terms of their neutral pass rate or pass rate over expected, they were the lowest in the NFL. I think part of that was they're just trying to shield Joe Burrow at this moment, right? And Mike Zimmer's a very good defensive play caller and he can confuse the fuck out of your offensive line. But he was hyper-efficient in those situations. And what really stood out to me, Davis, there was a moment with a minute and like 10 seconds left in the end of the first half. And there were no timeouts the Bengals had. And they went like, throw to T Higgins, throw to Tyler Boyd, throw to Joe Mixon, 50-yard touchdown to Jamar Chase. So while they might have been safe in their pass rates, they weren't safe in moments which led them to like, and why they built this team the way that they did. Like there's a reason why they have those four playmakers in the field surrounding Joe Burrow. So to me, that really stood out as like the mentality of what the Bengals might have this season. And I, I think part of the two and a half for Chicago is this belief that they still have this unreal defense. And that's not the case anymore. That's certainly not the case anymore. No, people, people see Chicago bears. They see, you know, at Chicago or versus Chicago or whatever. And they just assume that's like a difficult matchup, but you know, I mean, they have Khalil Mack and they have the Akeem, Akeem Hicks. Is that his name? Yep. Guy who's like unbelievable. But outside of that, they have lost a lot of talent from like peak bears defense time. Yeah. Um, am I dumb that I like Tennessee getting six against Seattle. I mean, that's a total. Of I can't, I, you can't uh, that, do it. that's, that's because I never really believed in Tannehill. I ne- even, I just have never this whole time. It's been like, all right, well, Tannehill, what Tannehill is going to be uh, 9.5 yards per attempt. Like, okay. I, I, I never really believed it. Like Tannehill last week basically is like the mental version of the Tannehill that I've always believed existed, which is a guy who's pretty, he's like Baker Mayfield to me. He's like a guy who's pretty good when he's on schedule and very good when he's helped out by play action, but he's not creating you anything outside of structure. Mm-hmm. I thought Seattle's offense last week was awesome. Like the big question was what Shane Waldron was going to do, but I thought like that matchup was perfect for Seattle versus what Indianapolis does defensively. Cause they do the same thing, like play over play over play. And how, I don't know how it happened, but on both of those Tyler Lockett touchdowns, they basically isolated him with a safety after a free release 13 yards on the field. And he just put both safeties and blenders each and every time and was completely wide open. And so I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that Tennessee's defense is good at all. Like they absolutely suck, but um, where are you at with like history based against the spread numbers for teams? Cause the Titans are L- literally don't, it's just, you don't like, even care. Don't even care. I mean, yeah. I don't even care about the trend stuff, right? Like right. this team does really well. On Thursday, like I just, uh, it's not, none of that, none of that uh, registers. For okay, me. I'm, thro- I'm throwing one more at you. I like okay. Carolina at home getting three and a half as well against the New Orleans Saints. So I'm of two minds about that. One is Darnold is not ever as bad as we said he was um, because mm. he just was never put in a position, like literally, not for one game was he ever put in a position to succeed. And he had such a weird career. Like he got mono, his top wide receiver for stretches was like Braxton Berrios, yep. you know, stuff like that. 
he's in the perfect position to succeed now. Three really good wide receivers, the best pass catch. Well, probably the second pass, second best pass catching running back in the NFL. But I love Jameis. I have always loved Jameis. I have always felt like Jameis was a good NFL quarterback. And I, I, I'm wondering your take on this, but doesn't it feel like he actually learned something from Sean Payton? Like he mm. kind of looked like a more advanced quarterback, like a guy who kind of was processing the game a little bit better against the Packers last week. I would say so. Uh, I think there's a lot of things when reflecting and, and watching that game again. Um, and a lot of them, I think we might just have to throw out that contest when we look back in the whole season, cause it was ludicrous. Like the Packers had what 12 snaps before the two minutes were up in the end of the first half, uh, to your point though, to me, what stood out and like the Packers over and over and over again, just have like these great individual pieces, but have never had to like play well cohesively a defensive unit. But then the saints offensive line went out there and just gave. Jameis pockets. And like, I think we forget how bad that offensive line treated him with Tampa Bay, because once Tom Brady got there and they added Tristan Wirfs, it was like, Oh, this is one of the best units in the NFL, you know, and Jameis under duress and under pressure is like a chicken with his head cut off. And we've seen some unbelievable snaps from him where he goes back 17 yards and throws the ball straight up in the air. Um, Now the other part of this is Sean Payton was on one in terms of manufacturing open receivers uh, and doing a really good job of it, like with Jeff sweeps with Tony Jones on the field to Alvin Kamara. But then we also get this element. I don't know if you saw this tweet. Drew Brees attempted over 9,400 passes for the Saints and never had a pass that traveled 50 air yards. And Jameis Winston had one in week one, obviously. Uh, so that's an element that we're getting here too, that teams just aren't accustomed to with the Saints. One point on them, and I think we might have talked about this, towards the end of Best ball season, Marcus Calloway was going as like a top 36 wide receiver. Insane. On, on nothing. Not, not to me. Not to me. Not on my uh, team. And it was on nothing. You know, it was on two preseason games. And maybe it works out. But what I see with that Packers defense, again, was individual pieces. Maybe the most shocking you in the NFL to me in week one insurance against the Jets was that Panthers defense. They're very similar to what the Chiefs bring to the table in terms of like hyper-athletic, aggressive players that get after the quarterback and just fly downhill. And uh, I just think it's going to be a totally different opponent that the Saints faced in week one versus what they bring to the table. So, yeah. So I, I, I tend, I tend to agree with that. I'm wondering, are you in on Juwan Johnson? Do you think that Juwan Johnson is going to be a thing? Cause I love the I just a converted wide receiver to tight end, a converted quarterback to tight end. Sign me up for that always. So what Hayden did this summer and it was really smart research, like just where, tight end fantasy points come from because a lot of times we get yards per route run cited. We just get snaps plays cited. It, the most important thing is when you are detached from the line of scrimmage and how many snaps you have in that role, because snaps played often on these long play action developing plays, or if your offensive line sucks, you're being left in as a six blocker, you know? And so if Jawan Johnson still only gets, I don't know, half the snaps of Adam Troutman, and I'm Troutman also might hit, but I don't even think I don't, like Juwan Johnson has to get 60% of the snaps to be like a tight and touchdown vulture in the red zone, which is absolutely what he was in week one as well. Like, I think he's a player that Sean Payton believes is like on his chessboard now. Like he doesn't have that go-to player anymore other than Alvin Kamara. 
And so he's going to do a lot of fun things, I think, with getting players open. And Jawan Johnson is one of those. So I agree with you. I think he is going to be a thing as we go along for 17 games. And my guy, Jalen Hurts. Only the the three and a half ADOT last week, but I just I I it's gonna happen. It's it's all happening for Jalen Hurts. Like Devonta Smith looked really good. I honestly was not sure about what Devonta Smith was gonna look like in the NFL. You know, 170 pounds. Uh, but it 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 all looks like it's happening. Now, granted, it was the Falcons, and it's a much tougher test right. this week. But well, and look, the 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 game was weird from a script standpoint for the 49ers and the Lions. But the Lions run blocking, which they didn't have to do a lot of because they were so far behind, just ran over the 49ers. Um, Philly's offensive line is so much better than it was last season. And Jalen Hurts on top of that. I was impressed by Miles Sanders too. Not necessarily from a production standpoint, but just from like no, a movement standpoint. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then Kenny Gainwell obviously came in and, and got yeah, a touchdown. Gainwell's going to be a thing, which was surprising because all we heard from the freaking Eagles beat writers was that it was Boston Scott's time. That was very surprising to me from week one. Do you have a read? Like, would you want to go in either direction of that 49ers Philly game? Because three and a half isn't very much, obviously, for what we think of both I, these I, I'm a 49ers bull. Uh, okay. And and not I I think that a lot of teams are going to have their best game of the season against the the, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Like, yeah. I, if, you know, Hurts did look amazing in week one, not going to surprise me if they get in a 10-point hole and they have to kind of push the ball down the field. And Hurts is, is not particularly accurate down the field. Like, that that's going to happen. Right. And, look, it's, I don't want to come out and sound negative towards the 49ers because I'm not at all. And, again, that script was so weird in the fourth quarter when they were basically playing off coverage and then Jared Goff was just peppering those short targets and then getting pass interference on the field and then George Kittle, you know, not being able to cover that onside kick. But the point about Jalen Hurts, I think what he did really well was feel the pocket and then he would climb and then just slowly escape right. And then a lot of those short passes to the right side of the field. Finally, on Devontae Smith, I wouldn't say the touchdown saved his week one. It made us say like, okay, he has arrived. He's good here in week one. That was really the only downfield shot that I remember from that game. But he was open. He was creating separation, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if that's a player that just brings us consistency week over week, despite, you know, that not being a top half of the league in terms of passing 10 plus yards down the field. Yeah, yeah, um, I think you're right. All right, Trey Lance, when does he start? When do we get when do we get Mr. Lance? It's so much later than I was than thinking I before week one. You know what I'm saying? Like. Now I think we're going to see Justin Fields before we see Trey Lance. Don't you believe it? I, I never didn't believe. I was never, I was never a, a non-believer in, in Trey Lance. But the, the issue for him is just going to be that everyone on the 49ers is so good. The offense is so good. You know, remove Brandon Ayuk, it doesn't even matter. And they're still going to score all these points. And it's, you're five and one. It's pretty hard to bench your starting quarterback for, right. for a 22-year-old from North Dakota State. Yeah, and maybe... I don't know if they have to start losing games to flip it over to Trey Lance. Um, but Jimmy played one of his best games ever. I thought as a 49er in week one. And if he keeps up that play, the other part of it is we seemingly know nothing about what's going on behind closed doors with the 49ers. And what Kyle has said all off season is like, well, when Trey's comfortable and he's ready, then, then boom, he'll play. But I think things have to stagnate a bit offensively for that to happen. You know, and I just don't see that being a real possibility, uh, real possibility right now, unless something shocking happen, happens against the Eagles, which 
their interior, their defense was, was really, really good in week one. So. They were, are you, um, are you worried about Robert Woods having fewer routes run than Van Jefferson? I, I think it might just be like a, you know, weird, was it not really a competitive game? Right. Van, Van Jefferson being rewarded for the, the long touchdown, right? That's the thing coaches do all the time. Well, I mentioned, cause they play the Colts this week, I believe. And if you don't think Sean McVay is going to isolate one of those safeties, like the Seahawks did last weekend, then, I mean, someone's getting a deep touchdown, even though like maybe it's D-Jack's week. Maybe Van Jefferson once again gets one. Maybe that's Robert Woods. I truly believe their dots, which people cited a lot as their careers went along. That was a Jared Goff stat and not a Cooper Cup or, or Robert Woods stat. I'm with you. Um, I think when we get shootout potential games, with the Rams, then you're going to see all parties be successful. And there's going to be some game where, you know, they hit 60 points, 70 points with whoever they're playing against. Cause that, that is an offense that even Sean McVay's coming out and saying, we're totally unlocked. Everyone is activated, but I'm here for Tyler Higby being relevant weekly. And I'm fascinated to see how much work as we continue to go along that Daryl Henderson's getting, because that move for Sony Michelle seems almost pointless in week one but I don't think it's going to prove pointless as we go along just from an opportunity standpoint. Yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to agree with you. I, I think the the thing that I learned is just that there are going to be spots where Van Jefferson is going to be startable. Deshaun Jackson might be startable. Higby, Higby looks like he could be the sixth best tight end in fantasy. I mean, he played yep. every single snap and Higby was a guy I really liked on underdog, but even that was surprising to me. I, I was advocating whenever did you ask the people I was advocating for Van Jefferson to be like a 17th, 18th round selection, because to me, we talked about running and running back insurance all the time. He's like an ideal wide receiver insurance. Because yeah, he's, if, he's the handcuff. Yeah. Exactly. Because if Cooper Cup or Robert Woods go down, then boom, you have like a top 36 wide receiver there every single week on a, a great offense to me. But then now we're getting him playing 86, like so many snaps, so many snaps already, which is shocking. Shocking. Yeah. All right. Uh, any, anyone else interesting for you right now? That, oh, man. Uh, that we, well, oh, are you worried about Josh Allen after that, uh, that disgusting performance in week I, one? I just watched that game. Yes. We got like early career Josh Allen where he would like drop his eyes and put the pedal to the floor and make something happen. I think that just accentuates where the Steelers are great. Like Minka Fitzpatrick was all over the field. They have players that can chase him down in those situations. Look, I, I don't know if we have seen that offense in the last year operate that poorly. I mean, I don't know if you saw that like fourth and one trickeration that they tried where he like ducked his head and like tried and tried to make it seem like it was a Tim Tebow play action and throw it seven yards deep in the backfield. And they were tackling immediately. It was awful stuff. There were drop passes, a deep shot just out of reach. And then all of that considered, with 10 minutes to go, it was 13 to 10, and then they gave up a block punt touchdown. So I think the core of the unit is absolutely still there. I know some people are advocating for Gabriel Davis to get more opportunities and more looks. That doesn't solve anything. No, it doesn't at all. And what they have shown us, Davis, is that Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are their number two and number three. So I'm perfectly content with them trotting out four wide receivers and letting them pepper the ball. And look, if Zach Moss is again inactive, I'm still not putting out Devin Singletary. I mean, that's, that's such a, it's the bucks. It's the bucks and the bills. Just do not touch their backfields. Yeah. Last guy Tua. they win in week one. Going to be a very competitive game. I think against Buffalo seems like Will, Will Fuller didn't practice today for whatever reason. Did we didn't get not? a reason why, 
It said it said undisclosed reason why. So I'm hoping it's like COVID testing or something. It'd be a real big bummer to have him uh, not not play in this game. I, I think you know my feelings on Will Fuller that he enters that team and immediately becomes like their best skill position player. And a lot of people have just viewed him as this high variance vertical playmaker throughout his time with the Texans. And there was a lot of that, especially when DeAndre Hopkins was there. But then last year, you know, his A dot dropped. He was getting screens. He was getting intermediate targets, highest yards after catch in his career. So to me, it shows that he can be usable in any form or fashion out there on the field. Tua is what he is in terms of just like a distributor and that's it. But if you surround him with Jalen Waddle, who just moves differently than a lot of wide receivers, Devontae Parker is making catches, always comes up big against the Patriots. I just really want Will Fuller to be out there so we get like a full arsenal and understanding of what the the dolphins want to be um i just was so crushed last week with that damian harris fumble dude i mean so, i know so i know crushed. it's but you know what it I was going I so think, well too it was i don't going think they so have well. another option but to go back to him because they're not giving the ball to ramondre i actually i actually think ramondre is going to be game day and active and jj taylor is going to be active this week yeah that, that's definitely possible because it wasn't just the fumble i think they brought him back in and he missed a blitz pickup that got like a low hit on Mac Jones after that. But man, it's the Jets this week against the Patriots. And it sounds like they're going to be without Trent Brown, who's a major issue at right tackle. Obviously, the Jets don't have any pass rushers either. But it was going to be so pure in that week one, like 25 touches for Damian Harris, yeah. over 100 yards, two or three catches, a touchdown because he was going to get it there. And then now we just have to worry. And there was no reason to worry if he just hang on to the damn ball. So, yeah. All right. Josh, tell the people all the stuff that uh, you and Hayden are pumping out on Underdog this week. Just go on YouTube, search Underdog Fantasy. We have a preview show Thursday evenings before the Thursday night football game. We're also live around like 11 a.m. Eastern before all the contests. It's a pregame show. It starts sets. Yes, we're one of those people that are doing it. I will say some of our best shows are Sunday nights. We have like an instant reaction right after the four Eastern uh window closes and then our tuesday 5 30 p.m eastern show where we kind of like join analytics and game film watching and like come up with like the, the facts of the week so just go and search on underdog fantasy on youtube because we're having a fun time over there davis and always a fun time joining you we sure are everyone of course follow josh download underdog fantasy use the promo code grid get yourself a free wager inside of the Pick them game, and uh, we will be back next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.